You're welcome to Call America, where we discuss the weird, wonderful, and worrying rituals and sacrifices that make America great. I'm Carl Joseph Black, a Brooklyn native born into the cult that is America. And I'm Lisa Charlotte, a migrant who totally bought into the cult from afar. Was good, Lise? We are moving things around. We're moving things around. <laughs> We're currently recording in the very professional studio of my bedroom. The the Lisa Charlotte Studios. <laughs> yes. It's temporary. <laughs> Having works done on the house. Yeah. But this is actually I when I first moved to New York, I used to record on my bed, so I'm feeling like quite at home. It's it's nostalgic. Yeah, exactly. I love it. I okay, love it. so I have a question for you. What's up? America or cult? This group is built on the foundation of white supremacy. Wall Street. <laughs> Wall Street. <laughs> Wall Street. <laughs> so, America. Yeah, I'm guessing. America, yes. Yes. I mean, again, like often it is both. And I'm almost scared to talk about it. But we're going to talk about the Ku Klux Klan today, a cult that you're maybe familiar with. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Grew up really scared of those guys. I mean, that's completely valid. So there's been three iterations of this group, and their name is kind of actually very funny when you think about it. Not that the group is funny at all, but their name was called Ku Close, which means the circle in Greek. Okay. And then they changed it to Klux because it sounded cooler. And okay. then they added clan. But that also means circle, so their name means circle, circle. <laughs> yeah. I only just learned when I was doing this research, and I'm like, that's ridiculous. Yo. Which is fitting. So it started out as a bunch of frat boys who were riding around dressed like ghosts in Pulaski, Tennessee. They were just like literally bored rich dudes after the Civil War. They were like, what do we do now? Let's start a racist organization. Very little organizational structure above the local level, but there were a lot of similar groups that rose kind of around the South and used the same name. So kind of like how ISIS works, like it's like, you know, there's ISIS and there's the idea of ISIS and then there's all these people who will just do shit and be like, that's ISIS. And ISIS are like, yeah, okay, we'll, yeah. we'll claim it. We'll claim it because it's bad. Yeah, yeah. So they targeted freedmen and their allies and were trying to restore white supremacy as if it wasn't already rife in the country. They also targeted allies. And in 1870 and 1871, the federal government passed the Enforcement Acts, which were intended to prosecute and suppress the Klan crimes. So they kind of like, I guess, sort of faded out a little bit. Then in their first revival, so the sequel, I guess, in 1915, the second clan was founded in Georgia by William Joseph Simmons, and it was based on the film The Birth of a Nation, which I actually haven't seen. Actually, interestingly enough, Birth of a Nation is the first film to ever be seen at the White House. Wow. Unsurprising. Yeah. Have you seen it? Yes. Because it is like, okay, so I don't know that much about this movie, but from what I understand, it's like supposed to be this like historical like thing that people have seen yeah but see i'm reading about it here and i'm like there is seems to be no reason why anyone should ever be watching that movie again yeah it's is basically uh give me a quick like it's american it's american propaganda mm. it's like about some black dude who like basically becomes too free the way the movie is portrayed it's as if he tries to 
kidnap, rape, and kill white women, and the the clan come together in search of this man, and they like catch him and save the white women and basically kill the black dude. So can you tell me why you in the nineties had any need to watch this film? Did they make you watch it in school? No, no. Oh, hell nah. If they'd have made that, if they would have made us watch that shit in school, my mom would have moved me to another school. Okay. Um, So why did you watch it? So the reason why I watched it was because it was the first film Mm. ever played in a white house. (laughs) I was like, what fucking movie was that? Like, you know, just like as a, as a historical lesson. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't know what the movie was about. I just, I was like, oh, this is the first movie. So we got to see it. Right. And. And when I saw it, I was like, they was watching this type of shit. Wow. The, like, they chose this movie out of all movies. Like, it's insane that wow. this is the one. Samora, um, have you seen it? No. Yeah. They now I kind of feel like we need to do a bonus episode, like, on this movie. Nah? I've seen clips of it. Yeah. But I haven't seen it. Okay. I remember a guy in a white robe riding a horse with a, like a torch in his hand. Well, that's why, that's where they got it from. So the, the cloaks with the pointy hats and the burning crosses is from the movie. Yeah. That's where they got it from. Oh, wow. It's from this film. That's when they started using those outfits. Wow. Is because of the movie, which is based on a book, which they also had pointy white hats in the book. Okay. Yeah. Cool. I never read the book. Cool, cool, cool. So wait, what year did they play it in the White House? Was it at this time or was was it like after? No, it was like, so Woodrow Wilson was president, which means it was in the teens, 19 in the teens. Yeah, that's when this came out, I think. Yeah. I wore like early, early Early, teens. Okay. Yeah. That's still fuck though. Yeah. That was like right around, it was either right before or right around World War One. Okay. This movie like was played at the White House. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So this, so this is sort of like what sparks the second clan. So beginning in 1921, they adopted more of a modern business system with like full-time paid recruiters and you had to pay like a membership. So it's sort of like a fraternity. So like, I'm going to compare it to like Al Qaeda because <laughs> we're, we're going to go with the theme of like, you know, terrorist organizations, but it's kind of more that model. Like you've got to yeah. like have a chapter, like you're franchising yeah. a business. And so they made a lot of their profit through the sale of their costumes, which mm. is just, you know, very it's American. Just the bed sheet. <laughs> I got bed sheets for sale. <laughs> and also initiation fees. And so at their peak, the organization claimed to include 15% of the nation's eligible population, which was four to five million men. Great. That's all great and fine. Yeah. From 1923, there were two different factions. So one was by Simmons, and then there was a splintered group that was by Stevenson, DC Stevenson. And there were like divisions within. It always happens when these groups get bigger. Stevenson was very into abduction, rape, and murder. I don't know. Anyway, by the, I guess, 1930s, the group's membership had dropped and it finally kind of like faded away in the 1940s in that iteration. So that's the sequel. And then to round out the trilogy of the Ku Klux Klan. Oh, there's um, <laughs> a third part. There's a third part. It's the extended universe, you know. Oh, my gosh. Uh, this shit is like a fucking Marvel comic. <laughs> 
And so the name has like since been used, I guess, in the 1950s and 1960s by independent local groups who are opposing civil rights and desegregation. They had forged alliances with police departments in the South, unsurprisingly, and that will be, we'll come back to that in a minute. And so that happened in Birmingham, Alabama, with the governor's office in in Alabama too. Several members of the Klan were convicted of murder in deaths of civil rights workers in Mississippi and of children in the bombing of the 16th Street Baptist Church in Birmingham in 1963. My American history is not good. I've never heard of that before. That's fucking sad. Yeah, that's terrible. It it, it was like six young girls that died. In that church. It's also just like, to me, it feels like, you know, they use religion so much to like justify these fucking shit and then they go and bomb churches. Well, like, you know, they used religion to justify slavery, mm-hmm. you know, so so there's that. Like, I'm not religious, but to me, it's just always so incredible how, with all religious organizations, how you can have a religion that, like Christianity and claim to be speaking on it and causing such horrible things for other people. It just makes no sense. Yeah. So in 1999, this Charleston, South Carolina passed a resolution declaring them a terrorist organization. The United States government still considers them to be a subversive terrorist organization. I don't know why they needed to add subversive, maybe because it's a bunch of white dudes. Yep. I'm pretty sure they declared as an international terrorist organization, but I didn't look that up, so I don't know. The Southern Poverty Law Center reported that between 2016 and 2019, the number of Klan groups in America had dropped from 130 to 51, which is still too many. Yeah. And in 2016, a report by the Anti-Defamation League claimed that an estimate of just over 30 active Klan groups exists in the U.S. So their estimates of total collective membership are three to 8,000. But there are an additional amount of unknown associates and supporters, which for me, it's kind of come full circle from the initial, just to throw in the circle thing, from the initial thing. And, you know, regardless of whether or not they call themselves the Ku Klux Klan, definitely white supremacy and white supremacy terrorism is kind of this like fractured lone wolf kind of thing, is, yeah. which is very hard to track and sort of like find like you know previously but pre-internet or like i guess he was against the rise of the internet lone wolves were less common and it was like the unabomber was like the main like lone wolf terrorist yeah. but you get people now like Breivik or like what's his face who you know did the charleston stuff i don't really want to say their names on the podcast but you get all of these white dudes who are like lone wolves but like they're part of a bigger group of people who are all sort of acting independently for the same cause yeah so that's the Ku Klux Klan. Yeah. Super fun. No. Um, <laughs> no. So our cult behavior today is questioning doubt and dissent are discouraged or even punished. And we are speaking about the police. Yes. Final round today. It's a really great time. Yeah. Like, that's the scariest part. The scariest mm. part is that, like, many folks who are supreme white supremacists end up with a badge and a gun Mm -hmm. it's like fucking scary it's terrifying and it and as we've seen and we'll talk about today it manifests in so many different ways Mm -hmm. interestingly enough like since we're gonna talk about the history of the police there was somebody on twitter who essentially compared the police to the overseers on slave plantations Mm. the whole meaning behind police and policing is to enforce policy, mm-hmm. right? These guys are just policy enforcers. They were there to protect rich people. 
Like, basically, the way the police started, and honestly, we'll go into a bit of the history today, but there is an amazing series called Behind the Police. It's with Prop and Robert Evans, and they talk about the whole history of police in the U.S., so I would suggest anyone who wants to, like, have an in-depth look at this, because we're going to scratch the surface today. But yeah, they were basically just, like, started by a bunch of rich people who were like, we're going to pull our resources to pay people to, like, stop poor people being near us. Yeah. Which is, like says a lot about who they serve today. <laughs> and at least in New York, you know, they're supposed to protect and serve, mm. but they never tell you who. Mm. Right. So let's let's kick it back to the original, like the the original invention of police. And in in thirteenth century England, I guess the king needed to figure out how to keep everybody kind of under the under control so he said all right cool i'm gonna i'm gonna create this thing called the police but really these guys are the king's men and they're charged with keeping peace by use of force over the kingdom which is considered the household of the king right and any adult male during that time could be called to be a temporary officer patrolling the streets at night so like you it's like the draft yeah, it's it's a draft, but you you're not drafted to work in the army. You're just drafted to work in a neighborhood watch, right? And um, you know, for some of our listeners who, if if you know if you know about fucking George Zimmerman's bullshit ass, uh, you know he was neighborhood mm-hmm. watch too, and he took that neighborhood watch shit a little too far. But but that's the original like intent of this police idea, at least under like English, English common law or English, the English perspective. When the American revolution happened, cause you know, America is a descendant of England, right? And American jurisprudence is a descendant of English common law. When the American revolution happened, there was no more King. So law became king like law became the rule of land and as a result people were were equals at least quote unquote equals i'm I'm, I'm air quoting here (laughs) but under that rule of policing people aren't equals though right um which is why i use the air quotes because what ends up happening and we know this very well what ends up happening is police officers historically have used different types of force on uh, on different types of people Mm -hmm. so like probably some white dude named chad from greenwich connecticut fucking flips a bus because penn state won the national championship (laughs) right the police officer come on chad chill out come on let's go get a hamburger on the way to the come on man come on man i know your dad right versus if a guy, if a black dude named Carl flips the B-46 in Brooklyn because the Brooklyn Nets finally got a championship, I'm going to Central Brookings and I'm getting my ass waxed on the way there. And and so that's been America's like thing. And it's interesting. It gets even deeper, right? Because, you know, you would think, all right, getting your ass kicked is a little thing. But in 2020, in 2020, 1,000 people have actually been killed by police. Fuck. And each of the prior five years, so 2015 to 2020, 
thousand people killed by police. Now, when you compare that to how many people actually killed police, only a hundred police officers, ten percent, mm. right? Like the the police to person kill rate is ten percent at least for that period of time, which is insane. And and contextually speaking, because you need the context, there's about seven hundred thousand police officers in the in the U.S. And I think that's about two two police officers for about every thousand people. Mm-hmm. And this is this is American policing. And you know, if you if you add to that the fact that America like basically has the largest prison population per capita on the yeah. planet, that gets even weirder. Right. But when you compare policing to to other countries, like when you think about Europe, right? Like mm. Europe is an older established government right Mm -hmm. so when you think about europe policing is very different they're Mm -hmm. not as aggressive they don't even fire their guns as much as police officers do yeah i've got to say like in australia like i knew police had guns but it's not it's very discreet like it's not something that i like i would be worried about police officers with guns here but in australia you just don't really see it it's like much more concealed carry and much more like instead of like here, they're like wearing it like out. Yeah. And definitely because I guess because we also don't have a prevalence of guns in society, it's much yeah. less often that they're going to be drawn. Yeah. But like it gets even crazier mm. here, right? Because like if you take the subway in New York, probably not now because of coronavirus, mm. but for many years I would take the subway and like, guys in the military would be on the subway. Oh, yeah, I've seen that. With, like, mm. ARs and shit. Yeah, I've seen that. Like, that shit is fucking scary. That's insane. Like, like I used to go to school in that. Yeah, this is always... We're going to talk about it later in the episode, but, like, groups of men like that as well, just, like, very intimidating for women. Like, I'm sure mm. also for you, but, like, I get very, like, any group of men, and then you throw in these freaking AR-15s, and it's, like, yeah, yeah, very, very intimidating. Yeah, and and like the added part is just that like there was no one else mm. on in the subway car mm. with a strap. You know what yeah. I mean? Like like meanwhile these guys got the biggest straps available. <laughs> you know, um, and they're fucking children most of the time. Yeah, like, a lot of folks 20, are like really young. Yeah, olds who haven't even got fully developed brains yet. Yeah, because you that's know that's a terrifying thing for me. Well, back in the days to be eighteen, if you turned eighteen, graduated high school, you could enter. Well, you can definitely enter the military still today. But if you graduated high school back in the day, you could just go from high school to being a cop. Mm. So you graduate high school, you go to police academy, you become a cop, and now you're like 19. No, no man, specifically men, but also women, but just like no person. Let's say no person. I do think there is a little bit of gender difference, but let's just say no person under the age of 26 should be able to be a cop, in my opinion. Mm. Like if your brain hasn't finished developing, like this literally science, like your brain doesn't finish like developing and working out like proper strategies until you're in your late 20s there should be a rule like you can't get into the police academy till you're 25 okay and before that do something else like be an ambulance be in like a paramedic be a fireman or you know person like be something else that is like helping out in a different way and that's gonna give you like better cops like you think about a cop who's been a paramedic for like 
five years yeah you know or who's like worked as a fireman for five years like, yeah that's a their professions where it's very clear that you're protecting the public in you know in a different way i just think that it should be illegal personally well what they've tried to do mm. to your point is in many states they've required that you ha you have a bachelor's degree now oh that's so good it's better mm. i mean i'm not saying it's, <laughs> it's perfect but like i'm better. really glad that states are implementing that law not to say that people without with bachelor's degrees can't be fucking dumbasses because they fully can yeah because folks just go they 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 go they fucking major in like phys ad mm. they work out for four years and they go be a cop you know what <laughs> i mean like, but you'd like to think at least they have like exposure to different groups of people and i i would i would argue they don't and what also what I see too is a lot of folks they'll come from the military and then be cops. That's also a terrifying thought. And there's just so much I mean, PTSD. Combat military, yeah, yeah. And there's so much PTSD from that, right? Yeah, so and you're like, coming from a combat zone. Like yeah. your brain is wired completely differently. Yeah. So mm. it's it's one of those things that frightens me all the time. And it's mm. I'm not like and and it's funny because you see that and then you see the branding of cops, right? You see the cop branding. Like the fat guy who eats donuts mm. and can't chase people. And it's like that's not like that's not your standard cop. Like mm -hmm. your standard cop is closer to the fucking cop dude in in Terminator. Yeah. Like like closer. I'm not saying they're all, you know, superhuman, but like the training is the training is intense mm. to to be a police officer cuz my dad was a police officer. Mm. Like the training is intense. Like academy is not easy. So so to train up a person like that and for them to not necessarily have the EQ to properly, you know, disarm people mm -hmm. to properly dig through a situation but to simply just react yeah it's it's scary i'm gonna take that a step further and i was gonna talk about this later on but the eq thing the things that police officers are dealing with so like like i don't know trigger warning or whatever so i was like sexually assaulted when i was a child and I didn't report it until I was much older. I didn't deal with it until I was much older. So I was like, you know, at that point, had like a psychology degree under my belt. Like I had like dealt with it pretty well, but someone else came forward and I wanted it to be on record. So yeah. I, I went to the police. And the way that they dealt with that, like they had absolutely no understanding of how to deal with a victim of sexual assault. I had come in with like every tool. Like we had a family friend who was like a, a lawyer who had worked on children's sexual assault cases. So he'd like sat with me for like an hour talking me through everything that could possibly happen and like the best way to talk about it. But I went in and this guy was just like, it was just like, he was just, you know, doing his job, not like any understanding of the fact that this is an incredibly traumatic thing to have to do. And like, I guess in a way it was like, they were trying to protect me but like no understanding of, and this this extends to the law as well, no understanding of like what actually is the psychological effects of abuse. So like I was abused from the ages of 10 to 12. I had like a lot of adverse reactions to that as an adult, like nightmares, like night terrors, like mental health issues, whatever. Um, I started to tell him about that because like, you know, me naively with a degree in psychology, I'm like, all of this helps. And he's just like, don't tell me that. I don't like 
want to know that. He's like, they're going to use it against you in court if you ever have to go to court. And it's just like all of the whole setup was just so fucked. Like the way that the administrators dealt with it, they would just like randomly call, like someone would just like pick up my file and call me in the middle of the day and like make me reiterate the whole case again. Like just the whole management of like, and that's just my like very small interaction with Australian police. But like, these guys should not be dealing with these cases. Yeah. Like they are not equipped for it. And the fact that we've put that in their hands, like that first stage, like even if it's that they're dealing with the criminal case, like there should be someone else who was the first point of call for victims. Anyway, sorry to like overshare, but I just think when you're talking about EQ, it's like, why the fuck are we letting these guys do this? Yeah. It's, it's insane. Mm. And you know, New York, you know, there's a lot of advocates out there who are saying, hey, look, you know, like there, there's folks on one side of the spectrum saying that we need to completely defund police. There's folks on the other side of the spectrum saying, are you guys crazy? How could you want to defund police? We'll have chaos. But then there's like, there's like a group of people, I wouldn't say in the middle, but more so like middle left that are like, look, like, yes, police needs need less funding but what we do need to do is fund other programs mm-hmm. like people like like people who could help with mental health issues mm-hmm. right because uh, many many from many instances crimes that do occur involve people with you know some sort of mental health issue right and mm-hmm. if you actually have the right person there who has the ability to talk to that person or identify the core issue then who supports a police officer mm-hmm. that's come i i think we could actually have better interactions yeah like we can't police. let there be absolutely no checks and balances for people who do the yeah. wrong thing yeah but like the way that it's set up now the people who are like who we are asking to be like our first point of call are not the right people to be handling many of the things that they're handling yeah you know, many people who disagree with that, mm. you know, say a bunch of things like, oh, well, those people aren't cops. So da da da, and cops don't need that because they get certain types of training. And I'm like, OK, when there is a hostage situation, you guys called a negotiator, mm-hmm. right? The cops stand next to and support the negotiator. In some instances, the negotiator is also a cop. Mm-hmm. In other instances, the negotiator may not be a cop, mm-hmm. right? But you have a person who has experience in dealing with that particular situation in the forefront, yeah. right? And that's essentially the point that I think many of these people who want more government spending on these other types of programs I think that's the intent or the But also it's like if it. you have a hammer, everything looks like a nail, right? Right. So like I have bartended at like fucking nightclubs till early hours in the morning and had to deal with people in very varying different states and like very violent men. And more often than not, a security guard is going to escalate that situation much more than I will. And so like most of the time I would like stand in the middle and be like, yo, let's just like have a conversation about this. And most bartenders can do that. Like de-escalate a situation 
Like, I'm not that big. I'm not that strong. But, like, I only got hit, like, one time doing this. <laughs> Just once. But most, more often than not, you can talk people down. Yeah. But a security guard is going to get into a fight. And I feel like that's often the issue with cops. They're like, oh, hammer, nail. Let's yeah. go. This is the way to solve this. A big reason why many security guards are going to get into the fight is because they know they're going to win. Yeah. Right? And, like, that's the same thing with, like, many police officers. Mm. They're like... You know, we just went through training, mm-hmm. went through, you know, whatever amount of weeks of training. And then, you know, we're looking to, like, test out our new powers. And then right? the law's on their side if they yeah. fuck it up. Yeah. Mm. So, like, you know, it, it, it becomes a weird situation where somebody's actually eager to get into action. Because, like, you know, my, my dad, he was a detective. And he was like, yo, man, I can't wait to get on cases. And, like, like you know what your cases are going to be. Yeah. It's going to be, like, either some drug shit or it's going to be a murder or it's going to be some other shit. Like, like, I, for one, am not like, oh, I can't wait for that. <laughs> I'm like, yo, I hope I don't got to do that shit. Yeah, not because yeah. I don't want to do my job, but because I know that it's because something bad is happening. Yeah. You know, um, you know, as a lawyer... You know, my friends are like, yo, I bet you can't wait to go to trial. And I'm like, actually, I never want to go to trial. (laughs) I actually never want to go to trial. And the reason why I never want to go to trial is because if I'm going to trial, something bad happened. Yeah. You know, I want my trial record to be zero, zero. Yeah. Because that means anything like anyone that I represented in any capacity never had to see a judge mm-hmm. which means they never really got in trouble yeah you know and like i think that's the mentality that i wish cops had just like i'm gonna go to work and i hope i don't have to like yeah, kill anyone nothing happens yeah I hope and nothing everyone's happens. getting along and it's all really easy i have to go like save a cat from a tree or something yeah shit. yeah like like i wish cops really wanted to be donut guys that just hung out <laughs> <laughs> like i wish they were with i wish they were their caricature yeah you know but but that's not the case. And I think that's also a part of how, like, they're chosen, right? Because I'm sure there's some sort of, like, psychology test that they take. And that also, that also analyzes whether they are fit to do the job. Mm-hmm. And some are probably found that they're not fit to do the job, mm-hmm. right? But you see, you see a recurring theme amongst many of them. And it's kind of painful to watch. Mm -hmm. One of the things I used to hear in law school is that policing in itself is rooted in white supremacy. And from Thea's research, it really like stood out, right? So like one of the things um, Thea identified is that in the mid to late 17th century, the U.S. colonies, right, began to institute slave laws that would eventually serve as a basis of today's policing. Of course. And that in in Barbados, they passed their first slave law in 1661, then revised it in 1688. And they they too had a special set of laws for slaves. Virginia, slave codes. Like, Like in the 18th century, New York slaves couldn't gather in groups larger than three, which kind of reminds me of how... Are you um, talking about Harry Potter right now? No, 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 no. <laughs> but what it reminds me of is when I was growing up in New York, like if, 
you know, like, let's say it's like seven or eight of us, like, chilling on a corner. Mm. Like, cops would be like, what are y'all doing here? Like, they would just pull up to us. Your like, kids, you're hanging out yeah, in a we, group. Like, what are y'all doing here? Mm. Like, just in a group, a group mm. of black boys just chilling. What are y'all doing here? And it's like, wait, wait, hold on. Like, we're just chilling. Mm. Like, like, go to fuck home. Go to fuck home. And it's like, we were just on the street hanging out. But, like, that that New York slaves fact mm. that Thea had with the inability of them to congregate in groups larger than three and aren't able to ride horses and couldn't, you know, attend, fu- couldn't hold funerals at night and couldn't be out after sunset without a lantern and couldn't sell in street markets. All of that stuff just tells me that the spirit of that hasn't gone away. Mm. Um, and in, in these very, you know, in these very weird ways, they still exist today. And it, it fucking pains me, you know, to me, it is built on white supremacy. And of course I got friends that are cops. I got friends that I went to high school with that are police officers now. And I talk to them about that. I'm like, how do y'all feel? White friends, black friends, black friends. Okay. I'm like, how do y'all feel? Well, white and black friends, mm-hmm. but like the black friends, I'm like, how do y'all feel about being the guys that used to bust our ass in mm. high school? Like, how do you feel about being those guys now? And they're like, well, like I'm trying to change things from the inside. Okay. Like at least I know your heart's in the right place, but like this, this is an establishment. Like, you're one person. Yeah. This is a system, bro. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not going to sit here and say, yeah, I'm going to become a lawyer to change all the laws in America. Like, <laughs> when people ask me, yo, Carl, you going to change the laws? I'm like, nah. But what I'm going to help you do is, you know, bend them a little. <laughs> 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 you know, like, like bend them a little. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, oh, yeah. Kind of work your way around them. You know what I mean? Like, because. But I think, like, I think reform and change like, and this is something I especially think about a lot being here because, you know, as a migrant, it's really limited in the things that you can do to move the needle forward because any, like, if I'm in a protest, I get arrested, I get deported, basically. So I have to be, like, you know, strategic. And yeah. as I said, like, when Trump was president, I did not tweet stuff about yeah. America because I was so scared. Yeah. But I think that every movement does require people to be t- tackling it on all fronts. You need the person who's going to like be in the system to to kind of like bend the system. You need the people who are trying to reform from the inside. You need the people who are protesting on the streets. You need the people who are doing other stuff as well. You need people who are just like connected enough that they can have conversations with people and sway opinions in a more quiet way. So I'm not to say that like it's not futile, but I do think that like, you know, on all fronts, on all fronts is the way to go. Yeah, I I definitely get it. Mm. For me, like especially, you just could never. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm just not your inside person. Like I'm not. Mm. Like you know what I mean. Like I cannot. I don't think I could do that. Either. I can't sleep at night knowing that I'm a cop. Yeah, yeah. Like I can't. You know, like it's just, it, it's just weird to me. And mm. like you know, our uh, New York's new mayor's uh, former cop who was as a kid like arrested for doing fuck shit. Yeah. And like got beat up by the cop who arrested him. And 
it inspired him to go and change policing. And then, like, it, he... As you know how my reaction yeah, would be. Like, like, yeah, like, bless you, I guess. Yeah, like, it's, like, crazy. Like, when I hear the... Because um, uh, my dad went to school with our mayor. Mm. And he was, like, always like that. He was mm. that type of guy. Like, he was in there. He was like, yeah, I'm going to be a cop. We're going to change the police. We're going to mm. change them. And I was like, okay. <laughs> like that was my dad. My dad was like, "Okay, like yo, bro, I just came from Haiti. I heard this cop shit pays." <laughs> he's like, "I." He's like, "I was getting A's all the fucking time. They wanted me to do this cop joint. I did it." Then his friend, who was also a detective, who was like maybe two or three years, now I think he was a year above him in college, became a detective as well, and like. There was, during that time, there was a lot of weird shit going on in the NYPD where um, they were trying to do all these drug busts because it was still, like, very much the war on drugs. Mm. So they kept using black men, black police officers, black detectives, and putting them on the front lines. Mm. So they would make them the undercovers. So, like... So, wait, did your dad go undercover? Um, My dad didn't get to go undercover. Damn. But his friend yeah. was undercover. And he was doing a buy. And he got killed. Fuck. In Staten Island. Wow. And it was like a big thing. Yeah. It was like, cops were killed. They held a huge funeral. I was there as a kid at the funeral. Yeah. My dad still keeps the newspaper clippings. My mom said, you're not a cop anymore. (laughs) (laughs) Like my mom straight said, quit the force. Okay. Like, and he did. Yeah. Right? Even in that instance right mm. like we're talking about a person who's a cop for not that long and he got them on the front lines mm. doing buys because of the color of his skin because he could fit in more with these mm-hmm. other people yep but it's like you have to actually think about the human right and and even even internally as a black person if you're working in the police department that you're you're within you know, like like white supremacy is still being put on you because mm-hmm. you're just put in more danger than the white cop mm-hmm. right so it's just for me it's just something that's really uncomfortable for me to try to engage in yeah and it makes me think about like how i don't know if you know lisa but like how is do you know how policing is in australia like is there is there a colorism or a color issue or is there a class issue? Like, how how is it over there? So, yes, there's always issues of that in mm-hmm. policing. I don't have a detailed history of the policing in Australia. Mm-hmm. Like, I have my own fucking ridiculous anecdotes about my experience with the police, which have been... I mean, I obviously shared that one before, which is less ridiculous, but all of my other interactions with the police in Australia have been, like, bonkers. Like... I, I, my car broke down on the side of the road. It was like poking out. They like pulled over. They're like, what's going on? I'm like, my car broke down. It was raining. And they, I was like, I called the like RACV, like the AAA here. And I'm like, but I can't push it in. I'm like, do you want to get out and help me push? They're like, oh no, it's raining. And they just drove off. Anyway, they came back like an hour later. They're doing fucking nothing. They're doing fucking nothing. They came back an hour later. They're like, oh, they still haven't come. I'm like, nope. Anyway, so finally car gets fixed, whatever. I'm driving down the fucking highway or it's not a highway, like a main road. And the fucking sirens come behind me. And I'm like, what the fuck? Like, 
this is not what I need. I can't even turn off my fucking car because it's like broken down. They're like, don't turn off the car till you get home. So I'm like leaving it idling. They pull up next to me. They're like, oh, so the car got fixed. And I'm like, did you just pull me over to ask me my fucking, of course it's fixed. I'm fucking driving. Are you kidding me right now? Like yeah. me freaking out. So like, that's one. Another time they um, pulled over my old, be- I used to live with this beautiful French woman and she was like not wearing a helmet. And they pulled her over for not wearing a helmet. And then the policeman came to our house and dropped his number underneath the door for her. And she was like, are you going to arrest me if I don't go out with you? Like, what the fuck, bro? That's so inappropriate. Yeah. And then another time they came to our house. We used to live on like a kind of main road. And we had a guy masturbating outside of our window. Me and my old roommate. Fuck? So we called the police. We like we like I think we scared him away, but like we called the police because we were like, there's a guy masturbating outside people's windows. Yeah. And they were like, Oh, you really shouldn't leave your window open like that. You're like three attractive women. We're like, we are watching television in our house in tracksuit pants. We're not inviting this attention. We should be able to have our window fucking open. Wait, 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 <laughs> wait, 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 wait. A guy is fucking Masturbating. He, uh-huh. a, a guy's got his dick out. Masturbating in front in, of our window. At in our the house. street. Yes. A guy's got his dick well, out. In the front yard, but yes. Okay, a guy's a guy's in public mm-hmm. outside of his home mm-hmm. with his dick out, mm-hmm. masturbating mm-hmm. it. Right? And he's like, You guys shouldn't have your window. hundred <laughs> percent. Like fully, fully. Whoa. And he was like, Well, you know, but like just some friendly advice. Like, maybe you shouldn't like Maybe you should just get some curtains. The fuck? I know. Crazy. So they're my like three, they're my main, aside from the, obviously the sexual assault case, they're my main, my main interactions with the police. They were very, there was a very, very, very heavy police presence in the pandemic. So like, I think that like people like, oh yeah, we should have a lockdown. We should have a lockdown. But like Australians as a society are relatively compliant people. The amount of policing in the pandemic, we had an 8 p.m. curfew. Um, we couldn't leave a five kilometer radius of our house. They had checkpoints set up with like, they were scanning um, registration. So check your registration and see how far your car is from your registered address, which was very stressful for me because I was driving different people's cars, living in different houses because I was, I was homeless effectively. Yeah. So I was living in lots of different places with quite a big distance between them. Like yeah. I was out in the country for a bit. That was like an hour and a half out of the city. And then I'm in the city with a fucking number plates from the country. So um, that was very stressful. They were going around breaking up groups of like white ladies in the suburbs and like (laughs) who were drinking their coffees together illegally. But it was like a very, very, very heavy policing. Like they were busting in people's houses. The funniest story, (laughs) these people went out and got like KFC for like 20 people (laughs) and the police Saw them doing it and followed them home and found they were having an illegal party. <laughs> they almost were drunk KFC. <laughs> you know how embarrassing that is for both parties. So fucking funny for everybody involved. Is yeah, yeah. For like, for the people who bought KFC. Yeah. For twenty people <laughs> who easily could have just been really fucking hungry. <laughs> Got followed home by the police. <laughs> Be- so the police busted them. They go yeah, find like the- fuck loads of money. Yeah, but like, the police are looking at like like it's like I-, I don't know. And this is probably why I'm not a cop because I'm looking at your KFC and I'm like that motherfucker's hungry. Like, oh no! Nah. I'm like that's. Oh, nah. I'm like I'm like these motherfuckers <laughs> must be high as 
fuck right now. Yeah. They got they got KFC for 20 people. Yeah. They're hungry. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? I'm not following you home because you got KFC for 20 people. It's so good. So, I don't know. Okay, so, uh, so that's the pandemic's experience. It was very, it was a lot. And they definitely, in the pandemic, overwhelmingly targeted communities of color. And, you know, there was a big thing. With, in um, Australia. Yep. Yeah, one of the project buildings got fully locked down with no notice because there was, like, one case. I could not even do the story justice, but it was like heavily guarded and police people couldn't leave. Definitely, they overwhelmingly did. But even for me, like it was the biggest police presence that I'd ever felt in in the city. And I like we weren't supposed to be walking around in twos. Me and my friend Candace, who is indigenous, we both were like at one point we hadn't like touched another human for like months we were like okay we're each other's significant other. This is fucking ridiculous. And like even just walking around with her, I felt like very like oh shit like someone's gonna get us yeah. and it, i'm a white lady i think she was more chill she's like i'm indigenous yeah. <laughs> they're always fucking with me yeah. i'm fine <laughs> this is fine but yes they definitely is an overwhelming level of incarceration of indigenous people in australia um a lot of indigenous deaths in custody we don't have as much black migration to australia obviously we're closer to asia so most yeah. of our migration is coming from there but we do have a sort of like significant Sudanese population, they often get overwhelmingly targeted by police. There's a lot of media hoo-ha about gangs, Sudanese gangs. I used to live in that neighborhood. It's not that. It's fine. It's the white drug addicts that were really mostly the problem. But- that type of shit reminds me of when I was growing up, especially like when Bloomberg was mayor, we had stop and frisk. Mm-hmm. Yo, this stop and frisk shit was the most annoying shit ever. Lisa, this shit was annoying, Lisa. Like, this shit was fucking bad. Mm-hmm. So, so, so this is how a, a stop and frisk goes. Okay. And like, we learn more about it in law school in criminal procedure. Mm-hmm. But, but this is a stop and frisk. So, like, you leave, so you leave your house, you're walking, you hit the main road, you're walking to the train. Cop stops you. Yo, where you going? You're like, uh, I'm on my way to school. All right, bro, get on the wall. What 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 did I do? Nothing. I'm just gonna, you know, get on the wall. So you get on the wall, and they ask you, "Do you have any weapons?" No, I I'm in school uniform. Mm-hmm. I clearly go to a Catholic school. You don't have to get snippy with me. It'll go faster. If you don't have an attitude, well, you're kind of stopping me on my way to school. Like, you're going to make me late. Mm. Okay. So, like, I'm going to have an attitude, but, but okay. And they're, they're not putting their hands inside of your clothes, but they're like tapping you. Mm-hmm. They're tapping your body part from top to bottom. Mm-hmm. They're tapping your body searching for essentially a sharp object if they feel a sharp object they are allowed to then enter your pocket to see what that sharp object is i'm going to school i have pens are you speaking is this your this is a personal experience yeah i'm going to school i have pens Mm -hmm. what's that in your pocket i'm going to school officer i have pens Mm -hmm. I'm going to search your pocket, empty your pockets. So now something that should have probably been two, three minutes 
turned this is we're 10 15 minutes in and this is the thing 10 15 minutes in like like when you miss a train by three minutes in new york you are late by a day like like like, in brooklyn in brooklyn yeah like not on the not on the good train line right like you are every three minutes you are fucking late Hmm. by an eternity if you miss your train by three minutes we're talking about four five trains have passed Hmm. and you're you're getting you're getting searched now because you got a pen Mm -hmm. you got to open your backpack and and guess what nothing's in there yeah this shit happened this shit happened to more than six hundred and eighty-five thousand people that's so fucked and nine out of ten of these people at least according to the aclu of new york nine out of ten of these people were innocent of anything Mm. and they did that shit they did that shit they would do that shit all the time in black neighborhoods. They would never do that shit in the Upper East Side. Hell no. They would never fucking do that shit in Park Slope. Because when I went to school and I would hang out after school, nobody got searched for shit after school. Mm-hmm. And we're we're rolling in packs after school, but we're in Park Slope. We're next to my high school. Oh, yeah. Like, white folks live over there. Like, we don't need that much cops. They're good. Catholic school kids buy the Catholic school. Mm-hmm. But if you're coming from fucking Canarsie... Even if you're in your school uniform, stop right there, pull over. Yo, uh, yeah, get on the wall. That that stopping for shit was it was a very bad time. Mm. And and then the thing is to to your point about the Sudanese gangs, when when De Blasio got rid of the stopping for shit, everybody fucking went nuts. Oh well, if you end the stop and frisk, the they're people going to be walking around with all types of weapons on them. And they're going to be committing all types of crimes. It's going to be a mess. It's going to be a mess. Guess what? Like, crime didn't go up in New York till the fucking pandemic started. Mm-hmm. Like, this, this, this shit is, it's so bad. Because, like, that whole copaganda shit is, it's, it's a mess. It's really a mess, and it's it's an old like it's an old trick. Like, and Joe Biden's president now, but back in the nineties, he wasn't. He was using that propaganda shit to get bills passed. He was in there like, oh, we gotta be tough on crime. We gotta be tough on crime. We gotta be tough on crime. So let's pass these Biden crime laws. We gotta be tough on crime. Let's pass this ninety four crime bill. Like, and what ended up happening is. These cops went in black neighborhoods, stopped everybody, or had an intuition or an instinct. An instinct. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Broke into somebody's house. A lot of folks got drugs planted on them. A lot of folks got drugs planted on them. And and overall, all it did was end up with black folks in jail. Like, disproportionately in, in prisons. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And then, and then, you know, these guys who got money were like, oh, well, if y'all going to be locking people up, y'all should actually find out who's going to be a cop, who's going to be, who's going to go to jail in the future. So they started using these school tests. You take, you know, your little. Like minority report shit. Not idiot, like I mean, minority report shit. Not- your word, <laughs> word. When you take your third grade reading and math scores, like they're going to go to the state. Or they're going to go to the city and like, 
The city's also going to sell that information to prison companies, and they're going to be able to calculate how many fucking beds they're going to need in the next 15 to 20 years, because they know that, you know, when you're 16, 17, you're going to fucking go to jail for something, which sucks. Like, imagine that, like, that's, that is the state of policing. It's, yeah. Even in the like, U.S. Yeah. I also think it's it's a fuck situation. And then you look at, you know, the guy who sexually assaulted me. He assaulted at least three girls, like girls that I know of. And he went to prison for like two or three months. The fuck? He can like just, he's living a pretty normal life for all I can see. Ooh. Wow. But- and then you've got people like on fucking drug charges here or indigenous people in Australia who are in prison for fucking ever for bullshit for weed, which is now legal in most states. Well, yeah, that's a whole nother mm. conversation. It's like it, it's interesting because I kind of grew up watching people in my neighborhood get busted for drugs, mm. and like it's weird. Like my dad, when my dad became a cop, he the commissioner of the police department. His name was William Bratton. And this dude was supposed to be basically one of the greatest minds in like police history. Okay. Is there a but coming with this? But, <laughs> but like to, to police people, not to anyone else. Mm. But nonetheless, it's still genius what he came up with. So, like, this dude, this this dude, Commissioner Bratton, comes up with this theory. It's called Broken Windows Theory. And essentially, he goes, all right, like, I was a B-cop for a certain amount of years. I made it through the crack era, and I've identified some shit. So, mm-hmm. like, look, if you're walking through a neighborhood and there's a lot of trash flowing around, there's some broken windows Shit doesn't look nice and clean. They're doing drugs. So, like, my street? Police up. Yeah. (laughs) We need more police over there. Yeah. Because they're doing some shit. That's why they're not taking care of the police. Yeah. But if it's a nice, clean area, everybody's taking care of their shit, whatever, you don't really need a police there like that. The thing is, is, like, these things are so related. Yeah. Like, you have... Like investment in public spaces and services, which reduces crime. Yeah. It's not like people are treating this. It's like nobody invested. Like the streets are bullshit. Like I moved from like you know Williamsburg to Bushwick. It's not geographically that far. Yeah, Williamsburg had a train that ran like every fucking three minutes. Yeah, it was super clean. The roads were better. And now I'm living like 15 minutes away, 20 minutes, not even by car. It's like a fucking. 10 minute drive yeah but i'm on the j line it comes every 15 minutes there is way more trash on the streets the streets aren't you know shoveled from snow like nobody's like coming around to do that and like the streets are fucked like walk across the street from my house and it's like all like not even a footpath yeah like it's it's investment though like of course people are going to care more like my parents just came here and they were like this is fucked. You really live with this much trash on the street. You just don't have that in Australia. But our tax dollars go to funding public spaces to look good. Yeah. And it makes a difference in how people like treat the space. But but even deeper, mm. even deeper, in a city like New York, 
where there are millions of people, right? Like, like in any given neighborhood in New York, you could argue that there's probably over 150,000 people who live in that neighborhood, mm-hmm. right? That shit is not on the people. That shit is on social services. Well, that's what taxes for. Yeah. So, like, so what you really identify in New York is certain neighborhoods, when the snow fucking storms, certain neighborhoods, the roads are cleaner. Mm-hmm. The trash gets picked up more often in certain neighborhoods than other neighborhoods. In my, in the neighborhood I grew up in, in Canarsie, we have no alternate side parking. We do alternate side parking is where you have to basically move your car. You have to move your car away mm-hmm. from where you're parked at so that the street sweeper can come clean. Mm-hmm. In the neighborhood I grew up in, we do not have that. In the neighborhood I live in now, Prospect Heights, alternate side parking is four days a week. The street, a lot of street sweeping. The streets are cleaned four days a week where I live now, mm-hmm. uh, which is two blocks away from Park Slope. But where I grew up, which is very far from Park Slope, doesn't have to be cleaned. Mm. Doesn't You no. don't need to move your car. Don't worry about it. We don't care. I don't know if we have alternate side parking here. You might. You might. You might not. I have a car. But like that's the thing. Some areas have only twice a week. Yeah. My I neighborhood Williamsburg is four definitely days. has street sweeping. But even just like there's not trash cans. There's no trash cans in this neighborhood. Right. Like I can't, like I'm carrying it in my hands. But it was interesting, especially like having my parents here. My stepmom had never been here before. And my dad was obsessed. He wanted to stay on the J line because I'm on the J line, which is very nice. But they ended mm. up staying at Bowery. Mm. And like that's not a nice station for my parents from a small place in australia they were fine but like that train station compared to like then we're going up to midtown and you're looking at the stations and it's like what the fuck it's fucking well how is it so disparate like it's it's weird as hell but like Mm. the what i was really you know what i really want to drive home here is that like a guy like Bratton who wants to say if a window is fucking broken in this building, that means another window might be broken too. Like that shit is on city services. Like that is on landlords. Yeah. Right. So like if I live in a fucking unit and my window broke because I got a five-year-old who wants to play fucking baseball in the house. Right. And my landlord wants to fucking take four months to fix my broken window. That doesn't mean I fucking sell drugs. Mm. Yeah. That doesn't mean you should be over-policing my neighborhood. Like, like this is completely removed from the type of people that live there. 100%. And many people have been stopped. Many people whose lives have just been... Many people's lives have changed. Based on this fucking theory. Mm-hmm. And and like and 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 I have to say it again, this is policing in America. It's sickening, bro. It's sickening. Yeah. Like, sure, there's a and and I don't want to just tear the police a whole new asshole on the show only. There's a lot of things that the police have done good. Right, like they've saved a lot of lives, they've stopped a lot of things from fucking happening and shit. Yes, they have, but like, yo, I'm not gonna lie, like, y'all yeah, be doing more harm than good sometimes. Yep, 
Should we go for an ad? I feel like we need a break. Yeah. <laughs> Hello, my name is Ikoya Atkins. I'm from Brooklyn, New York, and I'd like to weigh in on the police policing here in New York City. Um, I definitely feel the relationship between police and, you know, constituents that live here has got to change, um, especially in communities of color. Um, now that we have a black mayor and we have elected officials that represent the melting pot of New York City. And so it's time for us to really hold those accountable, um, stop this notion of defund the police, but really think about ways that we can remove the budget and um, redirect those funds into organizations and putting in place organizations such as like Life Camp, but we can go into this work deeper. And so I think the time is now for us to really think about the strategic ways of how we can um impact the days and lives of New Yorkers and really strengthen the non-existent relationship with NYPD. Several years ago in Midtown Manhattan, New York City, I, a black man, was jogging and while looking out upon the water in a small park area um, confined to the dead end of a street, um, in this particular neighborhood that is predominant, predominantly white and very rich, uh, based on, I, I say this based on the, um, buildings that are in this neighborhood mm-hmm. and some knowledge of the neighborhood because I used to attend college many, many years ago, not too far from said location. Um, I was stopped uh, excuse me, I was approached by a police officer who claimed that he heard complaints from a neighbor of a pedestrian screaming and wanted to quote unquote, make sure I was okay. Um, I don't believe that that is what happened. I believe he saw a black man in a white neighborhood and used that as an excuse to approach me. Um, nothing happened, nothing negative happened from this interaction, but I did not feel safe as nobody was around to see this officer. Um, had he tried to do something, um, there would have been nobody around to validate my experience. Um, so I found myself very afraid. During this time, stop and frisk was in effect. Me and my cousin went to a party um, in Crown Heights and realized there was absolutely no food, so we decided to walk over to McDonald's. On our way back from McDonald's, we watched two undercover cop cars completely jump the curb, and we looked at each other and put our hands up. Um, we didn't say absolutely a word. The cops came out of the car and literally rummaged through our pockets looking for whatever. Um realized that we had absolutely nothing in our pockets they proceeded to just hop back in their car and pull out no one said a word to each other at all and at the end of it left me and my cousin confused two young black guys just walking to get some food okay that's just a whole lot of fucking horrible stories yeah and shit like that just makes me think like because i know that people who become cops 
have like heard stories like this before. Mm. So it makes me think about like, why the fuck would somebody want to be a cop? Mm-hmm. You know, what are your thoughts, Lise? You know, it's really funny though. My dad actually thought I should be a cop at one point. Wow. I, to which I said, have we met before? Which I think is a really valid question. <laughs> My dad may be listening to this podcast. I think maybe it was because I was doing a lot of terrorism studies stuff. Yeah. Maybe that, but like I am like the anti, anti-cop. Like this is absolutely completely against the way that I exist and work. And I just can't think of anything worse than like being in a job like that. Yeah. Like it just feels... Yeah, like, but I mean, I also don't understand why people join the military or anything like that. So for me, it all kind of is wrapped up in the same thing. I guess some people probably think that they're doing a good thing, but I don't know. My stepmom actually, she teaches law to police officers or to police cadets. So maybe I should ask her why people decide to join the police force. Yeah, I can understand the motivation to join the military. and. At least, at least in the U.S., you know, like, you're 18, you get a fucking Camaro, you get a check, you don't got to pay for clothes. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think financial reason is a lot of the reason why yeah, people join the military. Education, know, health benefits, the yeah. things that society should already provide you. Yeah. And then mm-hmm. on top of that, you know, you feel like you did a favor to the whole fucking country. Mm. You know? Like, you served. It's always... Right? So uncom- uncomfortable, maybe isn't the right word. I, I feel it's very strange. So this whole, like, anytime someone's, like, I'm in the military, and I've seen this from, like, you know, you see it at sporting games, you see it at, like, a post office in Alabama. Like, the minute someone brings up that they're military, everybody's, like, falls over to be, like, thank you for your service, and there's, like, applause and everything, which, like, that doesn't happen in Australia at all. We have, like, a couple of days a year that we celebrate, like, veterans, and keeping in mind, we follow you into every war. Like, we're there are Australians in your military, yeah. effectively. But this is a very uniquely American thing. We do not do this in other countries. People do not go to this fanfare. Whereas here, it's almost like saying bless you when someone sneezes. It's like, if you don't say thank you for your service, like, it's like rude, which I just never do because I don't, well, I'm not American. It's not part of my culture, but I, it's very strange to me. It's, 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 Something that I, like, always, I'm like, oh, yeah, okay, this is what we're doing now. Well, like, you know, I wasn't going over there. Mm. Like, I wasn't going to Iraq for nobody. I wasn't going to Afghanistan for nobody. Like, I wasn't old enough, but I still, like, wasn't going. And it, and if I got to go to fucking Ukraine. But not like, to go I'm into, going- like... Not to go too much <laughs> into, like, the legitimacy of the wars, but, like, I think there's a difference in... I'm not putting this as a bad or a good thing. I'm just going to say it as it is, is that like, it seems like a lot of the war, the wars that y'all are fighting in are actually not to protect America. It's like, you guys are like the, you are the self-professed protectors of the world. So you're basically, it's less of you protecting American citizens and more of America protecting its international interest and power globally. I think there's also this added element of like, we know that you probably didn't want to go out there, but you went out there anyway. And it's like, thanks. Okay. You know? We, we but, should save this like, for our military episode. Yeah. I don't want to get too much into this. And I think I think we might get a veteran on that episode, actually. Yeah, um, like, I really want to like have that perspective 
as part of the show because yeah. we didn't we didn't fucking go. Uh, yeah, I didn't go. I have no interest well, in, I, in I, going. I, I tried to, but but that's for that episode. Yeah, we'll talk um, about it later. Okay, let's go back to the police. Let's go back but, to the police. But, you know, like I, I was gonna I was gonna say that like I understand the motivations mm. to join the military because I tried to join the military, but like I don't understand the motivations to join the police. Mm. I don't like and you know Thea Thea did some research in which she found a 2004 study of NYPD recruits and one of the most common motivations was opportunity to help people in the community and I'm like there are other ways you can do it bro yeah I'm like yo bro like I'm sure some of those motherfuckers wasn't even taking out the trash for their neighbor or like fixing a fucking broken car on the block, mm-hmm. but decided that being a cop was the fucking best way to do it. But mm-hmm. to me, like I, I guess I get it, but like that's not a motivation enough for me. And then the uh, found that a twenty fifteen study of police report or of police recruits led a police psychologist, Daniel Bloomberg. To find that B L U M B E R G. Yeah, <laughs> feel like that. Daniel Bloomberg. Oh, do you think yeah. that he is related, or he no, no, <laughs> changed no, the different, spelling of his name? Imagine that would be insane. <laughs> um, like I don't want no affiliation. Yeah, and they they found well, Daniel Bloomberg found that recruits measured higher on the integrity scale, like okay. they were more honest, more trustworthy. And less corruptible than college students. Here's the thing is like, okay, he's a police psychologist, but also like a lot of these tests that people give for psychological analysis are more or less bullshit and easily throwable. Like I have like a very undesirable Myers-Briggs personality type to be employed, but like I can throw my score. Yeah. It's like not something you can't do. Uh, you, you just lie. You it's lie. all self-assessment. So yeah. it's like, yeah, okay, maybe they're saying that they would do this or maybe they're saying this, but like you can pretty easily, even without a fucking degree, spot what the questions are asking you really. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Anyway, not to say that it's not right, just like it's interesting. I just, we obviously just have the research from Thea, but like it would be interesting to know exactly what, because if he's using Myers-Briggs, it's been proven to be bullshit and racist. So like, you know. Right. <laughs> There's a yeah. great book on that, actually. Oh, okay. What book is it? Mm. I can't remember what it's called. I'll mm. find it while yeah, you we, keep we gotta, telling me about this. We got to put that in the um, show notes. You know, I I feel like what it implies is that recruits enter training under the assumption that they have this mission. They have this mission to help the community because the community needs to be helped. And there are like multiple threats mm. against the community in which they have to save them. Like, like these motherfuckers got like a superhero complex almost, which I can understand. Mm-hmm. But my question to them would be, what else have you done to express that? Right, yeah, like that feeling, like if your com- if your community needed to be helped, and there are all these threats against your community, like like what have you done to alleviate them prior to becoming a police officer? Yeah, exactly. Because yeah, preventative cause- stuff, and that's the thing that annoys me about things like police is like the preventative stuff is always like no one's ever thinking of that, and 
that's very like indicative of American society as a whole. Like you look at the way that your healthcare system is, right? You have a healthcare system where there is not any focus on preventative healthcare measures. It's very focused around and your insurance is really focused around emergency care. Right. So fixing the problem after it's happened. The same thing for things like infrastructure. The same thing for things like, you know, dealing with issues with corrupt companies. Yeah. In Australia, we have an ombudsman. If there's issues going on, you have like a, a, a service, right? You have an yeah. oversight. You have the Fair Work Ombudsman who is looking after employment law. You have the ombudsman who you call if the phone company is fucking you over. It's like a they want to systemically keep it like preventatively good. In America, you just sue everybody. Yeah. Oh, this thing's bad. Sue it. Sue us. Do this thing. Sue us. Like it's always like, okay, let's just wait until things are as bad as they possibly are. And then we're going to sue your ass. And that sort of means feels like what police are. They're like, oh, I want to help society. And so I was like, cool. Do you want to be a social worker? Do you want to foster some kids? Do you want to like, I don't know, like be a teacher? That's a fucking hella important job. So fucking important in terms of like shaping the minds of the future. Oh, no, I'm going to be a police officer. Yeah. Like that's for when shit's bad. And it's just like, like for me, I'm like, what have you done for your block Mm -hmm. before you were a cop? Right? Like, did you... Did you fucking mentor little kids to prevent them from becoming gang members? Did you start a fucking basketball league on your block so that people could, like, spend less time doing other bullshit? Mm -hmm. Like, if you did those things, then I can understand why you want to be a cop. But because you've already identified that your community needs help and you've tried to do things about it. But if you're doing that, and if, if you're becoming a cop and you're saying this is why, like, to me, I'm like, all right, if there was such a fucking pressing issue, why you ain't doing nothing about it before, mm. you know? Come back to my fucking idea about, like, cops having to do community service before they become cops. Right. You know? So, like, for me, it's just it's just a weird thing. And, and since these people aren't doing things prior, and I, I can't put a blanket statement and say none of them are. Oh, I'm, I'm sure gonna some say of them that. Are. I'm sure some cops are really like lovely people who have very good intentions. Sure. I don't think that every cop is a terrible person. Sure. I like, genuinely I do think that some people like do think it's the way that they can best do good. Right. But like if that's the case, then I would assume that many of these people are kind of going into training. They're going into training with this type of frame of mind. Right? This, oh, I need to save the community. I need to help. I need to help. I need to help. They're going into training that way. And and as a result, like, it's actually that philosophy is informing the way they police. And, and that's the reason why I started with have you tried to help? Because if you've actually tried to help, then you would have a better understanding of how to work with people in your community. Mm. Then you would be trained as a police officer. And then the pre-training of you helping your community before, and then the training of the hard skills of becoming a police officer, those two would come together and you would actually be a better police officer. But what you find is that that disconnect between police and citizens exists because I'm going to go out on a limb and assume that people weren't heavily involved in their communities before they became police officers. Mm -hmm. But to kind of spin it back to training, there are some facts we found. And in 2013, a Bureau of Justice report found that 70% of officers say they've never fired a gun on duty. But 
an average of 71 hours are spent on firearm skills and 60 hours are spent on self-defense. So wait, like a collective like 130 hours or whatever that math is. Uh, Yeah, yeah, about 131 hours spent on fucking people up Mm -hmm. during training. Right. And, yeah. and and I understand this. Right. I think that I, I, I understand this because you have to learn how to deal with the hard situations and they have to be ingrained. But like if you weren't a person who was already heavily involved in the community and understood like the nuances in your community, then. And if you didn't understand that, and then you went through a hundred and fucking thirty hours of learning how to kick someone's ass, mm-hmm. like you just really know how to kick someone's ass. That's what you know. Yeah. Right. So now you have to learn. After you learn how to kick someone's ass, now you have to learn a community. Which when you're on a job, you're not really doing that. Um. And 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 to add to that, so like I'm not gonna say that they don't train on any type of community policing. Forty three hours. Mm. That's 43 yeah, hours. The ratios on that are a little skewed. 43 hours Not are spent on community policing. Not to say that I don't want police officers to know how to properly use a firearm. I think it's an important thing for them to learn. I just think that community measures need a little bit more airtime. Like, I do want my policemen proficient in firearm use if they're to carry one. But definitely the skew of, like, what's focused on is very telling about how they're teaching police how to deal with situations. Yeah. I mean, I think police training should just be longer than it is anyway. I agree with you. Like, it should be a whole last degree. It should be like a four-year course. Well, there's a whole degree on, you know, on criminal justice, but I don't think there's much. I don't think the com- the criminal justice majors across the country mm. are, they're not they're probably not learning what they're learning in police. Like they're not learning how to shoot mm. and they're, they're probably not learning community policing and their criminal justice degrees. My dad was a criminal justice major. I should ask him what he learned when he was in school, but I would assume that it's very different than Academy, mm. which leads me to thinking about how police actually interact with the community. and. You know, we've spoken a lot about this on this episode, but like police like really aren't good with black people. And which makes sense when you look at the history of policing and who it was for. Yeah. And and thank fucking God for the Black Lives Matter movement. Mm. You know, it's still really early to see how that influences policing, but Mm. but for some history. The Black Lives Matter movement was started in July 2013 as a hashtag, shout out to social media too, after George Zimmerman was acquitted for shooting Trayvon Martin, who had no gun and was coming from a fucking corner store with some Skittles on him in Florida. But that happened that happened earlier than 2013, right? Like I think no, that was no, going the, on. No, the crime the crime Was it 2012 happened, or 2011? The crime happened I think it was like 2011 or 2012, yeah. but the 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 trial yeah. was 2013 then he got off. Yeah. And then it picked up the movement, the Black Lives Matter movement picked up after Eric Garner was choked to death by a police officer on camera in New York, in Staten Island. And Mike Brown was killed 
by a police officer in Ferguson, Missouri. You know, the fan to the flame was that also neither police officer was charged with a crime. George Zimmerman wasn't a police officer. He was neighborhood watch. As you remember from earlier in the episode, neighborhood watch is part of the early part of policing. Mm -hmm. So BLM does a bazillion things, I would say, but like their focus area, I would say is protests to campaign zero which basically is 10 policy solutions, which has been developed by activists, protesters, researchers, and communities. And 2020 was probably the year that like Black Lives Matter, I would say, arrived. Yeah, I mean, it felt big before then, but 2020 was definitely like a yeah. fucking whole other thing. Yeah, like after George Floyd... After George Floyd died, half a million people protested around, what was it, like 500, over 500 places yeah. in the United States in summer 2020. And this Hide is when I was stuck outside of New York, so yeah. I wasn't here. But were you like in the protest? Yeah. You, yeah. I was in the protest on Flatbush Avenue in Brooklyn when the NYPD ran over a bunch of people. Fuck. On Flatbush Avenue. Avenue and Prospect Place, right next to Burrito Bar. Yeah, I love your your reference like, of where like it is. I You're vividly, like everybody knows the Burrito Bar. I vividly remember this because yeah. I was literally right there. It's fucked. I, not only I was in a protest, but I was handing out water to mm. protesters, mm. and like the NYPD straight up just like ran over people, mm -hmm. like like ran over people, and. That was the summer I would say that like it finally hit everybody. And there was a lot of other shit that happened in that summer. Like, and you know, you know, the conservatives are gonna say, well, motherfuckers were looting too. Yes, people were looting too. People were burning shit down because people were fucking mad. Yeah. <laughs> like, also the mad. history of like all fucking movements includes that shit. It's not like it's yeah. only this time that that's happened. Like it's a tearing down of the fucking system. Yeah. But there were there were definitely some instances during, you know, the protest period that that like it did get kind of crazy. Mm. And it's not to detract from the protests. Like the protests were fully valid, but I people were so mad at so many things because we also had like that was during the, the state there was the pandemic, we had a stay-at-home order. We were also supposed to be at home at that time. And then, and then motherfuckers were looting Chanel. Like, <laughs> like, like there was a, taste. there was a, there was a Rolls Royce, there was a Rolls Royce Cullinan looting Kith. <laughs> Nothing made sense, but nonetheless, <laughs> nonetheless, like, but that's, that, I, I think the country needed that mm. because the country needed to understand that, that racism is a problem and, and. Although Black Lives Matter, you, you know, typically shows up during a, you know, during the death of a person at the hands of police. But I think what they're really trying to tackle overall is systemic racism. Although I may not always agree with, you know, execution or whatever. I do have to say that I'm fucking grateful that this movement exists. And it's grown when you think about it. In 2020, I think 
between 15 to 26 million people participated in George Floyd demonstrations. But when you kick it back to that was 2020, but when you kick it back to 2016, there wasn't even that many people that would protest. I think there were protests worldwide, by the way. Yeah, there, there were protests, protests worldwide. in Australia as yeah. well. Yeah. And like, I think only 43% of Americans even supported the BLM movement in 2016. Like, mm. which, you know, when you think about, when you think about Americans in general, like to have that number or that, that, that percentage, like that in 2016, that was huge, but in 2020, it was like reality. Mm. And in some ways, you know, it was, it, it was good that more people kind of got, kind of have awareness when it comes to black lives matter. But I also think that it also created this symbol. It, 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 it allowed like people like the fucking Ku Klux Klan to have something to hitch onto. Yep. Right. They were like, all right, cool. Like now we got a, we got a movement we can go against. We need to wake up. We need to put our fucking bed sheets on and we need to go outside and do dumb shit because black lives matter. And, and and that that also was like a big thing, right? Mm. Like people saying all lives matter, which also improved awareness, but also like created more division. And and you see, you you saw this like political spectrum forming, which to this day kind of still like we're kind of swimming through. But nonetheless, Black Lives Matter has so many chapters across the U.S., and they're consistently supporting protests they provide materials they provide guidance they give out framework for for how people should protest and and they help folks out who want to be new activists Mm. and there are people who became new activists who were either inspired by black lives matter or worked under their direction who now like sit in office like in chio say is one of those folks like he was one of those people who went out and protested during the george floyd protests of 2020 Mm -hmm. and then he ran for office and Mm. he won and now he's in new york city council so like you know, obviously, it's yet to be seen what he's going to do yet because he just started. But uh, we might actually have a more equitable America as a result. Hope so. Mm-hmm. I don't know. That's that's optimistic, and I love that. But you know, given the laws that have been passed just this week, I don't know how equitable American society is trending. Yeah. Damn, Joe Biden. What happened? <laughs> I mean, yeah, but. And it's always interesting as well to see people move from activism to office. Yeah. I know we had like a couple of really like staunch activists in different communities in Australia move into politics and then just completely like nothing happened. Mm. Like I think it's just quite hard to get shit done. You know, I think protest is has been an effective way to move change. And I think there's like a line and I don't know where it is, but this is why terrorist organizations succeed, for example. I'm not mm. condoning terrorism. I feel yeah. like I should be said, but like it is hard to think bu- bureaucracy is set up in a way that things kind of do stay more or less the same and status uh, quo. So yeah, it's, it's the institution thing I was talking about earlier mm. with police. It's like you be an activist, then you become a police officer, then you're a fucking police officer, mm-hmm. you know, 
Like, you and it gets, it gets into the us versus shit. them mentality, which we've spoken about before, which is yeah. like, and I think that's a big part of the police training process too, is like, you know, you're watching people, like your your dad's, you know, got colleagues. Blue dying. lives, blue yeah. lives. <laughs> like as if it's not an opt-in. But like you do start to have that like, you know, you do start to have that feeling of like I am – I need to be protected. I feel unsafe. Blah, 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 blah. You know, like, it makes sense. Mm. So, yeah, I don't know. I feel like we could talk about this forever, but we probably should, you know. Yeah. Stop. You have any last thoughts on the police and Black Lives Matter? Samora, you want to weigh in? I'll hand you the mic. I think my parting thoughts are that Policing isn't ever going to be fucking perfect, but that shit could be way fucking better. Mm. You know, if you criticize police, you're anti-police. If you pro-police, then you're blue fucking lives matter or whatever. And I think there's space in the conversation for us to say, hey, like, you know, we know that your job is essential to to the way we live. Mm-hmm. But you guys fucking suck sometimes. <laughs> and like we really want to smack the shit out of you, but the law protects you in that in that regard as well. And if they could be receptive to their mistakes and they could hold themselves accountable, I think we can have better police and we can have better policing. Yeah. I think that that's right. I think everything should just be a little grayer sometimes. And I think that the black and white thinking is probably something that doesn't fare well in policing because things are never quite that simple. The book that I mentioned, by the way, is The Personality Brokers, The Strange History of Myers-Briggs and the Birth of Personality Testing. The author is Merve Emra. I hope I said that right. Anyway, really interesting to look into the history of Myers-Briggs. People take it as fact and it is absolutely not. Mm. Anyway, that was a fucking heavy episode. Yeah. Thanks for listening. Cult America is co-hosted and produced by us, Lisa Charlotte and Carl Joseph Black. Our production partner is Three Springs Media. Our research assistant is Thea Smith. And our artwork is by Estella Illustrated. Soundtrack is by King Virtue and So Soon, who even shared some experiences with us this episode. If you enjoyed the podcast, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. It really helps. We release bonus episodes there where we cover American movies. Our next episode is about Super Troopers. I fully thought that I was going to rewatch this. It was like my favorite movie as a kid. I thought I was going to rewatch it and like it would be destroyed. And it is so fucking funny. I'm really excited to talk about it. Those guys are so fucking stupid. They're so stupid. And sometimes you just need stupid comedy, you know? Like I was having like a low day and I turn it on and I was just like pissing myself laughing the whole time. Also, another way you could support us. So our amazing research assistant, Thea, is looking for an internship for the summer doing something in the creative film, whether that be audio or television. So if you know of anything, please get in touch. You can get in touch with us at cultusapod.com. You can leave comments on the episodes or you can contact us through the contact form. You can also find us on Twitter at cultusapod. If you want to be featured in an upcoming episode, please send a voice clip to the email address in our show notes. The next topics that we're recording are on money and the military industrial complex so if you have thoughts on those please let us know and that's it see you later all right <laughs> my ancestors ain't died for me to be taking shit from no crackers you want me to preach peace 
but my frequency is on ratchet. Don't wanna protest, wanna hold ratchets. Don't wanna hold tep or hold balance. Every chant for white lies, a rant of white lies, so we show them that black lives matter. Last night I had a dream. The cops were her.